as far as Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this wonderful honor that you've given us, that you've bestowed on us on this day that you ordained from eternity past. Thank you for the message you're about to impart to our souls. Thank you for also preparing it from eternity past, for you know what is perfect and right for each one of us as individuals as well as a congregation. Thank you for always being so upfront with us, loving us both gently and giving us tough love at times as well as needed. We know that you are so very faithful to us even though we can be faithless. Father, we pray for those in this world that are struggling, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it be physically, emotionally, but most importantly, spiritually. We pray for their safe return to the flock, that they also understand that we're praying for them, our hearts go out to them, our spirit is with them in their absence. Father, we pray also for those that are still lost in this world, that we might be given an opportunity to evangelize them so that we might increase our fellowship for all of eternity in heaven through additional brothers and sisters in Christ. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work, our Lord and Savior, on the cross. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, what is good? That is that question that really has been on all of our hearts. Um, I hope that given the space and the time that he's given us on this topic, what is good, it's been weeks now that you've taken advantage of the patience of God, that you understand that you know, he doesn't afford us any kind of a flippant response to the question, what is good? I would argue that most of us get very familiar with the good things in our lives. And because of that, the very definition of what is good begins to morph. And it begins to escape us. And we begin to cling to things that aren't actually good. Uh, and we call them good. And as the Bible says, woe to the person who calls good, evil, and evil, good, and sweet, bitter, and vice versa. Um, and so that's been the, the pause that he's had us on. Uh, this is part 10 now, and I'm just praying for you all that you take that time to uh, digest it, to mull it over in your own souls, and that um, you take all of the grace that he's been giving you from this pulpit, from the blogs, etc., on Thursday, we began with a survey of some of the early church fathers. Um, I had read an excerpt from the following essay by Nathan Bucenitz, the ground and pillar of the faith, the witness of pre-Reformation history to the doctrine of sola scriptura. And that phrase that you'll hear a bit of this morning, that you've already heard a bit of from the pulpit, Sola Scriptura is Latin for Scripture alone. That's been part of the emphasis from this pulpit, that it's the inerrant Word of God. And when you think of Word, you have to think of God being a person of His Word. And if you think about it, a person's worth really is based on the value of their Word. Are they a man or a woman of their Word? Do they have character? Do they have integrity? Is their Word trustworthy? And of course, God being perfect, his word is perfectly trustworthy. And so we have this notion of sola scriptura in Latin. It means scripture alone. And it really means that holy scripture is the sole infallible rule of faith and practice. In other words, this is where we go. It's the ultimate true north for us. It's where our spiritual compass should point at all times, right back to the word of God. And so we've been given a lot of um, background, a lot of scripture on um, this particular topic, and this morning's not going to be any different. 
But before we review some of the quotes from the early fathers that I gave you on Thursday, let me give you a historical timeline. Some of you are uh, visual like I am, and it just puts things into perspective when you see it on a timeline. I mean, you know, we've, it's, you know, 2017 now, roughly 6,000 years or what have you, but a couple of thousand years even from the advent of Christ, uh, the first advent. So it's, it's been a while, and 2,000 years is, you know, it's a pretty good length of, of time. And so I think when we read the Bible, sometimes we just read it and we forget how much time has passed since it was written. So a lot of things can happen. Um, what we're going to see, though, on this timeline, this historical timeline, is that the church, the early church, kept it together for a good period of time. Um, and then it started to fracture in a multitude of ways. And let's face it, we see the results. As contemporary so-called Christians, we see the results of much of this fracturing. And most of you, myself included, come to the table of truth with all kinds of baggage because of these fractures. Um, so I'm going to give you a historical timeline just so you understand why we're taking the time with this activity as of late. Up here on the board, you probably can't read it completely, but I can uh, give you this uh, at any point in time. It's just you know, freely available. But this is a general timeline. It goes from 0 A.D. to a little over 400 A.D. So that's the whole span right there. And around, somewhere around um, 100 A.D., we have the Apostolic Fathers. Um, they had direct contact with the Apostles or the Disciples, and they wrote as well, extra-biblically. But they wrote uh, consistent with what Jesus would have wanted them to write about. They espoused, if you would, the virtues of the true church, the true bride of Christ. And they did that successfully. Um, and then around 200 AD, we have what, we're, what the theologians would call the uh, ap uh, apologetic fathers. Uh, and they just really had to focus on defending the faith. And so as you can imagine, 200 years goes by and all of a sudden there's all kinds of problems that start infecting the pristine church that Jesus set forth uh, when he was on earth. Uh, and if you know your history as well, um, it was around this time that the Gnostic movement was really big. Uh, and then around between 200 and 400 AD, AD are the Golden Age Fathers, um, and they have these three main councils that uh, really set forth some of the modern doctrines that we find in most churches. So the idea is that you see some kind of semblance in the first 400 years. Uh, but then this is what happens. The first 400 years is really uh, the, far, the farthest or the leftmost, I'd say, one-fifth or maybe even one-sixth or seventh of that graphic on the board. So what I just showed you is compressed into the left-hand side. And then what we have here is what um, most would call the Great Schism of 1054 A.D., and it was the start of the modern Roman Catholic Church. So this whole forking off, if you would, wasn't until, a th just put this into perspective, the Roman Catholic Church, the way we know it, not even today, but the start of their gross um, errancy started back, in 1054, but just put that in perspective, that was a thousand years after Christ and 600 or so after that first block of, you know, some reasonable semblance of keeping to the pristine doctrines of the true church of, or the body of Christ. And then the Reformation, which was Martin Luther Posto's 95 thesis on the church door, that was uh, 1517. Remember, Martin Luther was a Catholic. He was a devout Catholic, and he uh, protested. That's why, and that's how you get the name Protestant, because he protested the Catholic faith. And you can see that as well. It's that second major fort going up. It's the highest angled um, branch, if you would, of the forking. 
But what you also see there is something that should be very obvious to you, that Martin Luther even was grounded in Roman Catholicism. So you have to think about these kinds of things. Now, I'll say this straight up as the pastor here. For the record, at NCC, at North Christian Church, even though most would, would associate us as Protestant, I reject the notion. I reject it. I believe we are best described. If you're going to put a word on us, call us orthodox. Call us true to the faith, if you're going to call us anything. But I reject it. Not because I have a problem with Martin Luther or the Reformation or anything like that specifically. I mean, there's some underlying issues there, but, and I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying I don't want to be called a Protestant, strictly speaking, by today's definition. And this is part of the reason why. Because of the roots of it, even. I'm not into, um, you know, if, is, is the word Protestant in the Bible? No. Do you get my point then? You get my point? So I'm not really interested in joining some group for the sake of, you know, feeling good about us and them and, you know, this sort of yin and yang type thing that goes on in this world. And it bugs me a lot because it's almost like if you're a Christian, you have to be either Catholic or Protestant. That's what we're kind of told as Christians. Well, you're, if you're not a Catholic, then you're a Protestant, right? No, I'm not. I'm neither frankly. I don't want either title. How about that? How about I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I cling to the Word of God? How about that? How about we associate ourselves with that kind of thinking instead of all these categories and these man-made religions and classifications of belief? Uh, I don't want it. So I believe if we're going to be forced into a bucket, which I can't stand in the first place, I would say we're more orthodox, if you would. But even then, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek because I don't like having to accept any category or denomination-related definition. We are seeking truth, and that is it. We are seeking truth, and that is it. If that means we denounce the very definition of Protestantism, if you would, an extra syllable in there, <laughs> then so be it. You say that. Then so be it. And I'm not really throwing stones. I just don't want to accept someone else's definition that's not even in the Bible because it brings with it all kinds of baggage, do you see? And it brings with it all kinds of creature credit issues like, oh, well, I'm a Protestant. Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, you know, and everybody's forced into these two buckets. That's garbage. The two buckets Jesus Christ never even spoke of. You know what he spoke of? Believers and unbelievers. That's what he spoke of. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. Good and evil. That's what he talked about. Those, that's the language that he used. Truth and lies. That's the language that he used, and that's the kind of language that I want us to use. Because if you move away from that, as soon as you do, you are now in the realm of man-made doctrines and man-made classifications. And anytime man gets his dirty paws on anything, there are fingerprints of creature credit all over it. Now, all of a sudden, you're better than this person because you're a Protestant. God knows, you know, if you're a Catholic, you, you think everybody else is just a wash. Do you follow what I'm getting at? So don't get in that fight. Don't get in that thing where, oh, well, you're this and I'm that. That is garbage. I prefer the word orthodox, but even then, knowing there are religions with the term orthodox in them, I ha I'm hesitant to use it. And I'm just trying to make a point. I don't want to jump from one leaky boat to another. All right, back to the slide on the board again. All I'm trying to show you here is the span of time and that it makes a lot of sense that there would be, over time, fracturing. Something stopped. All right. 
even in our own life. Something always starts off pure, right? And then guess what happens? Man gets his mitts on it. Your flesh gets its hands on that pure thing. Let's say it's a doctrine or something like that. Some jewel that you've been given from the Word of God. And then because the flesh doesn't like it very much, it tries to morph it. This, this, I'm going to modify it this way. And before you know it, it's not the pristine thing anymore. And give it some time, like 2,000 years, guess what can happen? All kinds of things. Thousands upon thousands of so-called Christian religions. And Jesus said, Mark 3.25, If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Again, the point of all of this is to give you a sense of bearing on time frames and in particular to show you how unorthodox the religions of today are. All of them, for the most part, as compared to the church that Jesus Christ's apostles spoke of. How unorthodox the religions of today are compared to the church that Jesus Christ said Go and propagate to his apostles. Go to Acts 20, 28. I want to give you some theology proper now. These are important things for you to think about because I don't want you to get stuck in the trap of being categorized into some thing that you're not, something that was never meant to be, Acts 20, 28. Because as soon as you do that, I'm telling you, as soon as you do that, all of a sudden creature credit seeps in. That's why I'm not big on titles. I'm really not big on superlatives, except when it comes to Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for, the, for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, talking to pastors here, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It doesn't say to shepherd a Catholic or a Protestant. It says to shepherd the church of God. That means it's, it, there are no boundaries. There are no boundaries. It's believers in Christ. End of story. That's the church. That's the organism. It's not this building. It's not the building down the street. It's the church. Up here on the board, the church, Christ's body, the church is not a reference to any temporal structure like this one. Rather, it is a reference to the one true spiritual body and bride of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2-4, Revelation 19, 7. It is most emphatically not the so-called church the Roman Catholic religion espouses. It's not that. At all. That is an evil, horrible counterfeit from the pit of hell. The church is not, but there are, trust me, there are Protestants out there that think this is the church. That four walls and a roof with a, a cross out front constitutes the church. You know why? Because they don't understand what the Bible says about the body and the bride of Christ as the church of God. They don't understand that it's a living organism, if you would that transcends all kinds of classifications and all boundaries and really is only pinned up by one thing. Are you a believer in Christ or not? Have you been saved and given eternal life or not? That's it. It's that simple. But why, is it, why do we have a graph like the one I showed you with a thousand prongs like this when there was only one line that Jesus Christ set forth? Why do we have all these things? Man... That's why mankind is awful and terrible and, and competitive. You don't think that exists? You want, hey, here's a, good, here's a good one. You ready? <laughs> Put on a Christian fair and let all the local churches line up with their own booths. Right? Who's got the best booth? Let them start handing stuff out and see the competitive nature that comes out. These are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. What the heck is wrong with people? Well, we have the best chowder. Those people over there, you know, they got minestrone soup, and I think they used leftovers from, you know, a month ago. 
right? We have, uh, you know, whatever. You know what I'm getting at. Christians are some of the most competitive people I've ever met. They're disgusting. Starting with the pulpit. I'm not that way, thank God. My flesh wants to be, but I refuse. But I've seen it, and it's grotesque. And people eat it up. Eat it up. If I started talking, teaching from this pulpit that you guys are somehow just a little bit better than any other church in our local area or in the world, you're just a little bit better. All of a sudden, you guys are like, yeah, you know what? We kind of are. This is all, we have the best church. All of a sudden, it's our church and their church and their church and that church and this church. And it's competitive. How is that bringing glory to God? It's grotesque. It's disgusting. <laughs> but that's what we see in Christianity. Why? Because there's a thousand forks in it. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. I, I don't like to give you verses and not have you see them firsthand. Again, we're talking about the church of God here. This is not about us and them. Do I have to call certain religions out because of false doctrines that they teach? Absolutely. Like the, I have no problem calling out the Roman Catholics because the whole religion is evil. I have no problem with that. But I'm not trying to say, well, that's them and that's, you know, we're better than them. I pray for these people. I feel sorry for some of these people that they're that confused and deceived, sometimes willfully, but whatever. This isn't about us and them. It's not about elevating ourselves and making ourselves better or looking, turning down our nose at any other religion. You pick it. It doesn't even matter. That's just a prevalent one in our area. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God. That's what I want to talk about. That's my church. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That's where we get the name Christian, but I don't even like the name Christian anymore because of what it's become. Everybody says they're a Christian now. If they're not something, or, and then you ask them, and they're really not. They don't know Jesus. They really don't want to know him. They just want, to, they just want you to lay off in the moment. I'm good. Nope, I'm good. I'm this, I'm that, and they give you some denomination. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this. I'm a, well, what do you think about Jesus? I don't care what, you, what category you call it. What do you think about Jesus? I don't. <laughs> what? But what about the church of God? What is that? Is that the building down the street? Is that the one that says the church of God? Is that like the, the one that says church of God on the front? What is the church of God? Most so-called Christians have no idea what the Bible even says. Again, the church is not a reference to any temporal structure or organization for that matter, other than the one that uh, God has organized in Christ. Rather, it is a reference to the one true spiritual body and bride of Christ. It is most emphatically not the church, the so-called church, the Roman Catholic religion espouses. Go to Revelation 19.7. Revelation 19.7. Do you, see why, do, you, do you see why I reject the category, even Protestant category? Do you see why I reject it? It's because it has an unholy background, an unholy um, origin. It's not the same thing. It, it wasn't from the, the purity that Jesus Christ set forth. There's always something else, something human, something... Um, creature credit oriented, involved in it, and it becoming us and them, and uh, oh, I don't want it. 
Revelation 19.7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride, that's a reference to the church, the same organism in view, has made herself ready. That's the church in view. Same body of people, believers. That is it. And that is it. You're a believer or an unbeliever. If you're a believer, you're in the church. If you're an unbeliever, you're not. I mean, there are, there are religions out there that are so arrogant, they say you have to be a member of our religion to actually get into heaven. What the heck? Where did that come from? I'm telling you, it's man-made. Again, the reason we are taking pause in our lessons right now is to show you how unorthodox, and I'm using orthodox in the generic sense, unorthodox the religion of today are as compared to the church that Jesus Christ's apostles spoke of. And, and like I said, on that timeline, they did a good job defending it for hundreds of years. And then, you know, in true human fashion, we tore it up. So when you actually see the amount of time that passed between the early church and the doctrines of contemporary so-called Christianity, you begin to see that old, and I hope you know this game, it's called Chinese Whispers. You begin to see the, the, this, the, the, um, the fundamental premise of Chinese Whispers game where you, you, know, you all sit in a circle, someone starts and whispers into one person's ear and they whisper it to the next one, they whisper it. And by the time it comes back, it's hilarious, right? That's called Chinese whispers. That's the name of the game. Or some, I think Americans sometimes call it telephone or something like that, some variant. But you know the game. Over the course of hundreds of years, we see that the orthodoxy that Jesus intended on the true church keeping has morphed. Now put this in perspective. It's morphed, just like it morphs from person to person in Chinese whispers. Ask yourself, in the game of Chinese whispers, what is the very last thing that happens after the final person in the chain states aloud what they heard and everybody gets their chuckle? It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. That's not, you know, pumpkin socks or, you know. It's like, half the time it's like, almost like ridiculousness. What's the last thing that happens, though? Everyone in the circle wants to know, Right? exactly what the original statement was. Well, where does the group go to find out? Right back to the original source. That's how you find out. Right back to the person who originated the statement, right? That is exactly what we ought to be doing in Christianity proper. Instead of listening to the whispers of others down the annals of time, doctrines of men, fractures, denominational precepts and traditions, instead of listening to the whispers of others, we ought to go right back to the original source. That is the Word of God, also known as God's original statements. Just like in Chinese whispers, where do you go? Right back to the beginning. And many times you feel foolish, right? Because, oh, I heard this. I heard that. Yeah, and then you open up the Bible and it's plain as day. God says, this is what I really said. <laughs> wow, that's nothing that I heard. Someone lied to me about the gospel. That's not what I heard. I heard something totally different. one of the reasons that I rarely, in my own personal studies nowadays, I rarely read commentaries anymore. I have volumes here, and I have volumes at my house, shelves of, of books. I hardly read them. I mean, why bother when I have the greatest commentary of all time in the Bible? I mean, what am I doing? Why do I want to read the whispers of other men? Why would you want to? I mean, this is different. This is special. This is a spiritual gift meant to prepare you. And I was telling Scott this the other day. So much of my work really is opening your eyes. 
is really saying, hey, you know, did you know this is kind of like a thing in your life? And you're like, oh, oh I guess it is. Right? That's, <laughs> right? And it's like I got the rod. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go, right? And then I got the staff. I'm kindly, you know, some of you are so fragile. I got to, like, you know, staff you into the fold, you know. Other you is like, I'm like, (laughs) right? That's my job. Honest to goodness, I do not want to in any way supplant this. I really don't. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. So this is why the Spirit's been spending so much time reminding us of the inerrancy of the word of God. It's like, honestly, like Chinese whispers, the game. Up here on the board, too many people are playing Chinese whispers with their faith. A perfect example is regarding the church. Many people take a perverted definition from perverse religions, never checking the source of the Bible. Never going back. It would be like literally being the last person in Chinese whispers and then leaving the room before you actually heard the original person tell you what it really was. Does that sound asinine? That's what people do. They say, I ain't got time for this. Or I really don't want it. They purposely sit behind some jackass that's going to tell them something ridiculous. You know how there's always that person? You ever notice that? There's always that one person in the loop that's like a pervert. Do you know what I'm getting at? Why are only some of you laughing? Maybe it's just my family and friends, right? They always end up like some weird, like, you know, twisted connotation. Either it's like bathroom humor or, you know, sexual or something like that. It's always something bizarre. And it's always that one person. You ever noticed? Nobody's ever noticed that before? It's like the funniest thing. Right? It's, I think he said turd. Right? Turd Ferguson. Right? I think that's what he said. It's like, what? Nothing. Just a little bit. All it was was like a T and an F. And they just ran with it. Why would, you, why would you put your faith in that? Some of you are like, I do it on purpose. I find the person who's got a dirty mind like mine, and I sit right after them. That's the equivalent of sitting under a pastor who's an idiot, who just wants to pervert everything, bend the scriptures to his will. God forbid her will. <laughs> right? And people, that's what the Bible says, people go after teachers after their own desires, their own lusts want their ears tickled, want to hear sordid things, want to hear perverted doctrines. Why? Because it builds up their fleshly desires. This is the best congregation God has ever made. Oh, yeah. Right? Everybody's eyes like, yeah. It's like sitting behind the jackass. Right? Those are lies. Too many people are playing Chinese whispers with their faith. They never go back to the source. Once again, here's a snapshot of church history. I think I've got it up here again. Oh, I didn't do it. That's all right. But remember the uh, church history. And for the sake of perspective, everyone I'm about to quote, um, we're getting to the quotes now, lived before 400 AD. That's why I gave you all these quotes. Remember the first slide? where there was at least some semblance before the Great Schism and all this kind of stuff happened at around 1,000 or 1054, I think it was, right? Before all that happened, there was some semblance. The early church at least held it together. I mean, there was assault after assault, but they held it together in the what we call the early church fathers, the guys that wrote, like Augustine and Clement and those guys. They kept it together. And... and as profound as their work was, they always said, don't even believe me. I want you, I don't, I'm just writing, I'm doing my job, right? Some of them were pastors, I'm supposing, teachers, and they were just doing their job by, you know, illuminating certain things around that time and defending the gospel, whatever was going on at that time. 
and they held it together. But the reason they held it together, what you'll see in their writing, is they always said, sola scriptura, sola scriptura. It's not, it's th they didn't use that phrase, but that the concept always goes back to the source of all truth. That's how you hold it together. And that's what the Spirit's saying to this congregation 2,000 years later. Saying, go back to the source. You want to hold this thing together? This is a beautiful thing, by the way, that's going on. It's a supernatural thing going on this morning. By God the Holy Spirit's doing, nonetheless. You want to hold this thing together? You want to see this thing through? You want to fight the good fight and finish the course instead of having it as some poster board on your wall at work so you can tell people you're a Christian, not a Catholic, but a Protestant? Right? Or do you want to live it? Do you want to live it? You want to finish the course? Amen? What? You guys are weak. Do you want to finish the course? Amen. Thank you. Sheesh. <laughs> That's one thing I can't do to you, all right? I can't insert motivation. I would like to with some of you, like really hard too, just saying. But I can't. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to strictly motivate you. The only motivation that really lasts, honestly, is what comes from faith. And faith comes from hearing what? The word of Christ, Romans 10. Rob. Anybody remember? Something 10. 110, maybe? Or is it? You're supposed to know. Sorry. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Dwell on these things. We're going to quickly go through this. Again, these are, these are quotes from that article. I know they're lofty speech, um, so just bear with it. Nathan Bucenitz, the guy that wrote that essay, a number of church fathers expressly state that they regarded the scriptures as more authoritative than their own opinions and teachings. Rather than elevating their interpretations to a level of equal authority with scripture, they elevated scripture above their own perspectives. Best thing you could possibly do, ever. Consider the following examples. Dionysius of Alexandria, around 265 A.D. We did not evade objections, but we endeavored as far as possible to hold to and conform, uh, confirm the things which lay before us. And if the reason given satisfied us, we were not ashamed to change our opinions and agree with others. Because they were just after the truth, in other words. This is, again how the church held together at least for a few hundred years before it just kind of blew apart. But to the contrary, conscientiously and sincerely and with hearts laid open before God, we accepted whatever was established by the proofs and teachings of the Holy Scriptures. Early church father, great writer here, right? He also quotes uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, he was around 315 to 386, for concerning the divine and holy mysteries of the faith, not even a casual statement must be delivered without the holy scriptures, nor must we be drawn aside by mere plausibility and artifices of speech. He says, even to me who tell you such things or these things, do not give absolute credence unless you receive the proof of the things which I announce from the divine scriptures. For this salvation which we believe depends not on ingenious reasoning, but on demonstration from the Holy Scriptures. And then Basil of Caesarea. Those hearers who are instructed in the Scriptures should examine what is said by the teachers, receiving uh, what is in conformity with the Scriptures and rejecting what is opposed to them. That means you should have your own faith. Your own convictions. Have I not said that in the past? You should have your own convictions. If you just want to come to class and be spoon-fed by me, you're missing the point. Seriously, go dress up and be, go somewhere else, in other words. Because that's not what I'm advocating here. I'm advocating what the Bible says. Have your own convictions. Because you will stand or fall. You stand before the Lord. And you're not going to be able to point, well, so-and-so, or this, you know, this guy said this, or this guy said no. 
He, I know because I was working through him. He told you to go get your own convictions. He told you to read your Bibles. He was beating you and guiding you and beating you and guiding you. And he was doing everything I asked him to do, for the most part. I'm not perfect, but you know what I'm saying. And you ignored him. And now here you stand and you say, oh, it's his fault. No, it's not his fault. It's your fault. You're responsible for your successes and your failures. So stop blaming other people as well. And then the last statement, and that those who persist in teaching such doctrines should be strictly avoided. In other words, get away from false teachers. Augustine said, for the reasonings of any men whatsoever, even though they be true Christians and of high reputation, are not to be treated by us in the same way as the canonical scriptures are treated. We are at liberty without doing any violence to the respect which these men deserve to condemn and reject anything in their writings. If perchance we shall find that they have entertained opinions differing from that which others or we ourselves have by the divine help discovered to be the truth. In other words, don't be afraid to disagree. If you actually have Holy Scripture backing up your convictions, then stick by them. And you're convicted of, with Holy Scripture, not opinion, not he said, she said, not opinion, not whispers of men, not even from a commentary, from the Bible, from the source. Go to the source. Some of you, some of you are so lazy that you, you actually have problems with something that comes from this pulpit, and you're so lazy you won't even go to scriptures to find it. Find your own answers on it. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But that's, you know, that's how we went like this. I deal thus with the writings of others, and I wish my intelligent readers to deal thus with mine. See, any person, not just a pastor or a famous writer like Augustine, any per person worth their salt says, go ahead. I stand with my integrity. I'm not perfect. But I'm standing with my integrity, so you stand with yours. And if we differ, let me know. Then you teach me. You tell me what you see in Scripture. And we'll talk about it. But that would actually imply something, right? Dedication to truth. Actively seeking diligently the truth in the Word of God. Which, as far as I'm concerned... Most Christians that I know, the so-called Christians, if they even have a Bible in their house, it's chock full of dust. It's, it's like used as like a, a paperweight or something you pull out, you know, and put near the mantle near Christmas time as to hold up a, a candle or, or you sit your little elf on the shelf on it. Oh, that's right. And just for good measure, Santa Claus came by twice today in a fire engine. I almost threw up. Don went out there and got candy. <laughs> I'm like, Don, man, he's supposed to be an example. He's like, I am. I'm getting candy. I'm going to get it for everyone. Don, Don, you know? <laughs> and then he finishes with this. Again, this is all part of that um, essay I was telling you about. As Augustine suggests, intelligent readers are those who evaluate patristic writings against the standard of biblical truth, not vice versa. And they wanted you to. That's the whole point. These, you know, patristic means the fathers, right? Paternal. It's the, uh, the early church fathers, like Augustine, Basil, and those guys. Um, they, they, they encouraged you to do it. Don't just take their word for it. Before we press on now, ask yourselves a very basic question. How can we adequately define good if we are relegated to playing the game Chinese whispers? Mm, that's a good question, isn't it? If someone at the start reads the Bible and says, this is good, and then there's a string of 10 people and you're the last person, how do you really know what is good if you've never actually checked the source? How do you know what the definition of good is if you've listened to 10 other people that have morphed it and mucked it up all along the way, and you just take it, what, you have faith in other people? Right? How do you define what is good if you're playing Chinese whispers? 
How can we honestly put our faith in something we suspect is awfully perverted? How lazy are people who do any of this, who refuse to check the source of all knowledge, truth, and wisdom? God. You might as well, let's put this really in all fairness, you might as well have Satan himself sitting in the circle right before you. You might as well. If you're, if you're dependent, if your faith is dependent on whispers from other people that supposedly read their Bible, probably didn't, no one Christians nowadays, you're going to put your faith in that person's definition of good? I, I, know, I know so-called Christians right now. You ready for this word? This is the killer. Devout in their religion who suggest two beloved family members. Oh, you guys, are, um, you guys are dating now? Why don't you just move in together? So-called devout Christians suggesting to children and grandchildren, why don't you guys just move in together? What? What is the kid thinking or the grandkid thinking? Well, grandma over here, she is a devout Christian. Well, you name the religion. And she's telling me it's okay. Matter of fact, she's encouraging it. And God's saying, this is a really bad idea. Do you understand? This happens in Christian circles all the time. So-called devout Christians leading Sheep astray. At the end of the day, who stands before the judgment seat? The grandmother or the grandkid? The grandkid. Shame on you, but you are responsible because you are an individual standing before God. And I gave you a conscience. And you ignored it. Do you see how it's going? You might as well have Satan himself, if you're going to play Chinese whispers, you might as well have Satan himself literally sitting and whispering into your ear if you're unwilling to go to the source. But like I said, most people are manipulative enough and intelligent enough to design a seat. Right? Ever gone to a wedding and go, I'm sitting next to that person. And you like hustle over there because they tell dirty jokes all day. And you're like, that person's boring. They're like, you know, straight-laced, boxy, square. Do you know what I'm saying? They might actually be a practicing Christian. But you, beeline, I mean, right next to that person, because they also buy me drinks. <laughs> right? You, you literally just premeditated this, the sitting next to Satan's whisperer. You literally premeditated it. Right? Yeah, that's exactly how it, why is it so quiet in here? This is, this is like obvious to me. Is it obvious to you? It's really obvious. I know you don't like it. But that's how crafty the human flesh is. I know that, you know, in the, on the backside of the, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to happen. You premeditated the whole thing. And the first hundred times you've done it, it's ended up the same way. What's wrong with you? I didn't know. Right? Yes, you did. <laughs> you, you really did, right? why people don't call me for sympathy. I live a quiet life. People have given up on me. They don't they really don't. They try to bait me into like, you know, partiality. I'm like, no. No, not gonna happen here. I thought you'd understand. I do understand. This is the problem. I don't like you. I'm not gonna call you. I'm not calling you anymore. So you might as well have Satan sitting next to you. 
Because today's religions, even so-called Protestant Christianity, are whispering all kinds of lies in your ears. I'm trying to get around that. So go to the source. That is the point of this morning's lesson, it appears to be. I can't believe how much time we've spent, but you obviously had a lot to say about it. Go to the source. If you want to know the truth, and this is really is ratcheted into finding out what the answer to the question is, what is good? Well, go to the source. Don't ask it from somebody else. Go to the source. Find out for yourself what is good. What does God say is good? Because he's the only one that matters. His opinion, did you read the blog? Oh, you have a blog? Yeah, I have a blog. Right? What color are you? Oh, I'm red, because so-and-so said I'm red. That's, I'm picking on myself, because, anyways. Right? Because I really talk like that. That's why I talk like that. I'm red because you guys said I'm red. Right? <laughs> right? Don't take that. Great. People have opinions. Right? People have opinions. Let them have their opinions. And if they're honest and truthful and, and loving, they might have something to say that you can actually learn from. But it's really only God's opinion of you that matters. Go to the source. What does God say about your life? What does God say about your decisions? What does God say about your laziness? What does God say about your successes? What does God say about what he sees in you? What does God say? So go to the source. If you want to know the truth about what is good, then go to the source, God. The Bible is literally the word of God. Luke 11, 5 to 13. And don't be slack about it. Go to uh, Luke 11.5. Luke 11.5. Don't be slack about going to him. That's the point. Go to the word of God and go diligently. Go find out what the problem is or even what's right. I was having this discussion with um, uh, someone this past week and I said, and they have this propensity, this, this, um, they have this um, trend in their own life. They're always thinking about the stuff they do wrong. And they're very grateful for God's mercy. And I get that. It's wonderful. It really is, right? Uh, I heard an old um, Puritan saying, every time you consider your own sin, consider Christ ten times. So you don't end up oppressed in your own guilt, if you would. But this particular person, all they think about is the mercy of God because they're so wretched. And I said, wait a minute. The Bible also... Uh, encourages you and says, hey, listen, if you, ru- you, know, if you run the race and you, and you, and you run the course and, you, and you, you know, you're um, uh, a slave to righteousness and you're evangelizing people and your heart is good and your intentions are good and your motivation is good, thumbs up. Seriously. Don't just look for the Bible and say, oh, man, I'm just going to find out what I did wrong today. Oh, right? Go there and say, hey, see, this is what the beautiful thing about reading the Bible is, especially as you grow up. You read the Bible and you say, hey, that's work that he, that's good work that he's been doing in me. I've been seeing this in my own life. Some of you immediately right now, I'm thinking, I mean, five years ago, you wouldn't have stepped outside this church and have tried to evangelize anybody. Now, some of you are on the street. Go figure. And God's like, hoorah. I mean, he doesn't speak like a military guy, but that I know of. Maybe he does. He's the one who said we're soldiers for Christ, so maybe he does. He's like, hoorah! That's awesome! So just make sure that you don't, you're not slack about it for two reasons. You're going you're gonna to find out how you're mucking things up, but you also see the mercy of God. But you're also going to be encouraged when you read the Bible. And you're going to see him as a loving father. Luke 11.5 Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, so obviously this is a parable, friend, uh, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, This is the funniest thing. Yet because of his persistence, 
he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That's the Greek word uh, anidia for persistence. Conveys the idea of urgency, audacity, earnestness, boldness, and relentlessness. That's what persistence means here. Relentlessness. Are you relentless? Do you seek relentlessly the source of all things? The source of goodness? Do you seek it in Him specifically, relentlessly? Do you? Like persistent, uh, persistently asking or the persistent asking of a desperate beggar. And that reminds me, of course, of Luke 18, 13 up here on the board. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That attitude, like a beggar. I often feel like a beggar and say, God, I'm begging you. I, 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 for, for whatever reason, this thing is overcoming me time and again and again and again. I'm so sorry for mucking it up. Give me faith. Give me, give me strength. Give me power. Let me do this thing. I really want to do it. And then I fail. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like the soldier's like, give me that rifle. And he trip over your shoestrings. <laughs> right? And the war's over. Crap. I forgot to tie my shoestring again. Do you know what I'm saying? And the war's over. That's the attitude you want. There's nothing wrong with being a desperate beggar before God. I think that's the attitude he wants from us. Luke verse 11-8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence... He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Now he turns, he says, this parable is about you praying, asking God. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek. But there's an active voice there, you see? You don't just seek passively. You don't seek as a couch potato. You seek actively, active voice. You have to do this thing. I cannot do it for you. You have to make the decision in your life. Do you or do you not want to know the truth about whatever is ailing your soul? Do you want to know the truth about yourself? And if you do, then you have to go to the source to find the answers. So I say to you, ask, and this is your Lord and Savior. If he's your Lord and Savior, hear his voice right now. Jesus Christ says to you personally, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus Christ has never lied. And he's saying that to you personally. This isn't some, you know, thing that's just, you know, I don't want to say ethereal, but in the ether somewhere that you can't grab. This is for you. Right now, your life, you. And then he says in verse 10, for everyone who asks, guess what? Receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You want to know the truth about your life? Give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Read the Bible so He can give you something to be convicted by. He says, read the Bible. I inspired it. I'm going to use it in your life. But if you refuse to pick up the Bible, it's the old analogy. A, a builder, a master builder can't build a house without materials. If you show up with no materials to the job site with your finger in your behind and a coffee, a nice tall one though, a $4 one though, there ain't got much building going on that day. I'm glad you're laughing. Because it's ridiculous. People show up to the job site. 
People, let me put it this way. People show up more to their workplace, more prepared for worldly work than they do for the work of God in them. They show up every day faithful, and they get promoted, and everybody's, you know, oh, you're doing such a good job. Oh, you're doing such a good job. And they show up, and they get promoted, and the world loves them. And then they show up to God's work site with nothing. Nothing. Because they spend all their energy on the world and being friends with the world and impressing the world. And when it's time to show up to God's work site with real materials, they're too tired. So they show up to church like this. Hopped up on caffeine. No offense. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying some of you probably are because it came from my mouth. Hopped up on caffeine because the world and they're chasing after the carrot and the world has worn them out. And the best they can do is really just listen to the bald guy who obviously this morning can be reasonably entertaining. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, nope, I'm shutting up from here on out because now you're getting, you're getting puffy. <laughs> That's the best you can do? That's not diligently seeking him. That's not even knocking. That's not persistence at all. That's laziness. That's playing a game. The obvious point that Jesus is making in this parable is that we are to seek diligently for the truth. And the only way to do that is to go to the source of it, the Word of God. When we find what is truth, then we find the definition for good. When we find what is truth, even in our own lives... When you pray, when you pick up the Word of God, when you give God the Holy Spirit building materials for something to convict you with, when we find that truth, then we find the definition of good. Because not only is good defined as God, God is good, but there's a goodness in your life. And it's your life, and it's my life, uniquely. And we have to live our own lives as under the Lord, right? Well, how do you do that if you don't take in the Word of God? How does that work? How are you ever convicted if you're too lazy or too bushwhacked because of work out there? Working for the man. How are you going to do that? When you find what is truth, even in your own life, specifically in your own life, then you start to discover what is good. Because what's good for you might not be good for me. And vice versa. And you don't want to be the guy that's tenth in the circle with someone whispering, oh, you're a good girl. Or, oh, you're a good boy. By my perverted definition. The one that has everything to do with getting ahead in the world. No, 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 no. Don't go back to the source. Take it from me. Satan's still whispering in your ear. And how many agents does he have in your life? Well, how many has you, how many, as of late, how, how often has the Spirit said, take a look at how many agents he might have in your own life, besides your own flesh? Who are you hanging around with? Who are you hang, seriously, who do you spend your time with? Agents of Satan? It's a good possibility, isn't it? It's a really good possibility. Who are you hanging around with? The Bible says, Hang with a ship of fools, you become a fool. Because you know why? They say this is good when it's literally opposite of what God says. And as long as you partake in what they say is good, they'll tell you, they'll whisper in your ear. You don't have to go to the source. Shh, don't go to the source. Don't dust it off. Don't do that thing. Don't take that step. Don't commit. I'll tell you. You're a good girl. You're a good boy. When we find what is the truth, even about ourselves, then we find the definition for good. Amen? Let's bow Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible opportunity to study your word together, to fellowship together. In the unity of the faith, thank you for always being honest with us, Father, up front, and thank you for this pulpit, that it might be encouraging to those who are led astray, Father, who are maybe even being lazy. Thank you for waking us all up 
in due time. And thank you for letting us know also that this isn't all bad, that you're our greatest cheerleader, if you don't mind us saying that, of all, that you're right there. You love us beyond measure. And you just want to show us what true love is, in time even, so that we might be beacons of light standing on that very thing for the rest of the world to see. What a privilege this is, Father. We just ask for your blessings as we take all of it out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs these things so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.